Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire, the Puma. Welcome in, Puma, Podcast 113, the special Brady Retirement Podcast, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I, I love the intro. Love the intro as always. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had all this, you know, for, for those listening, we normally like the day before do like a pre-production of what we're going to talk about on the episode. And uh, quite frankly, all that went out the window today with, you know, the Brady officially official retirement post. And we're going to get to that. And then uh, a former head coach took an AC-130 gunship to the NFL in a class action lawsuit. So that's going to be kind of the dominating factors of today's pod. But beyond that, Jay, I'm excited to talk about it. It's like the, the lull between the Super Bowl week and the Super Bowl. And like you say, you say this all the time, it's the best drama uh, known to man, known as the NFL. And it, the, it, it, never, it never sleeps. So I'm excited to break all this stuff down. Um, how are you doing on your end? You had a lot to digest this weekend with with your man retiring and everything. Are, are you okay? It got dark. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I first saw that, uh, you know, my phone started blowing up, and you started seeing snippets of Brady retiring. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I started getting a little um, sad, a little down, a little depressed. Um, I considered walking into a lake and never coming back out again. That's always my go-to way to kill myself. Um, I feel like it really conveys just the, the depth of what the issue is, you know. Um, I was I was bummed. I was butthurt because Tom Brady means so much to me. But then I saw the statement that Tom Brady sent out. The fact that he gave two middle fingers to all the baby Patriot fans and Bella Fraud and Robert Kraft on the way out. Oh, it was so good. And we'll get, get to all that. But as Puma alluded to, you know. Tom Brady has finally retired after 22 years. 22 great years Tom Brady has walked away. And the accomplishments and the accolades are just stunning. Like if we sat here and talked about everything that he accomplished, we would be here for three weeks straight. But, you know, just talking about some of the highlights of his career, whether it's a seven-time Super Bowl champion, ten appearances in the Super Bowl, five-time Super Bowl MVP, Three-time regular season MVP. He's first all-time in passing yards. First all-time in pass TDs. First all-time win. 15th in uh, pro, 15-time Pro Bowl selection. I mean, the list goes on and on, Puma. I've got a long list here of all his ranks all-time. And these are all first. Like, he's basically ranked first in all of these. And I'll just kind of quickly run through these. But it's kind of insane. Like, he is first in conference championship appearances, playoff yards, playoff touchdowns, playoff wins, um, Super Bowl appearances, Pro Bowls, uh, total EPA, you know, wins, win percentage first. I mean, there's just so much the guy has accomplished. But, you know, I wanted to, you know, all that aside, I wanted to talk to you, Puma, you know, as... As the the person that has a very interesting story arc with Tom Brady, because for a while there, you really hated Tom Brady. When I first met you, you were not a fan of him. You were a fan of the Miami Dolphins, and he was a you know obviously a direct competitor in the AFC East, and you would come down every year and put up a million points on the Dolphins. But you know, over the years, after seeing what he has done, it seems like you've gained some respect for him too. But you know, I want to start this podcast out with talking about what does Tom Brady mean to you? Like when you think of Tom Brady, what's the one thing that you think of when Tom Brady's name comes up? And we'll start the conversation off like that. I mean, to sound to to, to sound tacky, I mean, you almost have to think of it as the American dream, Jay. Right? Like sixth round pick, 199th overall, split time at University of Michigan. And, you know, he finally gets the crack at, you know, the NFL with, you know, Drew Bledsoe going down, wins the Super Bowl. And then you see, like, the evolution of Tom Brady become the pinnacle of, of you know, sports domination as we know it with, you know, all the accolades you just listed, all the titles and all the fame and fortune that comes with that. I mean, that's something every kid aspires to. I mean, you know, you can, you can attest to that as, you know, you, cut, you grew up essentially as a football fan with, you know, Tom Brady uh, when he first broke into the league. Like, I, I remember watching New England Patriot games prior to Brady with, you know, Drew Bledsoe and like the Ben Coates era. Like, every, every play was Drew Bledsoe to Ben Coates. That's all it was. But, I mean, you look at that and, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Dolphin fan and, yeah, I couldn't stand Tom Brady when when we uh, when we first started working together, and I had a couple of choice words about him. But like the the fact of the matter is, is to me, 
you know, I almost I view Tom Brady as like a Derek Jeter type of character. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't like I'm not a fan. I don't wear this. Like I respect his game. That doesn't mean like I'm going to love the New England Patriots. You know, because of the accolades that Tom Brady's done. But like I respect him as much as I respected what Derek Jeter did for the New York Yankees type of deal. Um, so that's that's my big takeaway from it. We're never going to see anything replicated like this again. Um, despite all the the claims that the Chiefs and Mahomes are going to be the next dynasty, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I I I highly doubt that's ever going to happen. Tom Brady's in an era of his own. Nobody's going to touch that. And uh, you know, we just we have to enjoy greatness while we had it. You know, kids nowadays, like you know, newborns, they're never going to understand it. Like they're never going to understand the the arc that Tom Brady had throughout his entire career. Uh, but I'm I'm just glad to have witnessed that, even as some guy on the opposite side of the aisle being a fan of the Dolphins. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the words that first come to mind for me with Tom Brady are like, you know, winner and clutch and underdog. You know, the fact that he was picked 199, nobody wanted him. I mean, it really is kind of a, like you said, just a beautiful story. And whoever writes this for Hollywood, like you can't even make this up. I mean, just a regular dinky looking kid from San Mateo, California. You know, nobody wanted him. Basically claws from the bottom to the top. And eventually gets to a point where he marries the world's richest, best-looking supermodel, has 10 Super Bowl appearances, 7 Super Bowl wins. Like, it's just unbelievable. But when I think of Tom Brady, I think for me, he is the fiercest competitor I've ever met, man. Like, you you can just see in some of these pictures where he's yelling. And, and I've shared these pictures with you over the years. Like, you can see in his face how he becomes a different person, right? At the podium, Tom Brady is this dorky, like, you know, um, dad-next-door kind of person. But when he gets in that zone, where he comes out of the tunnel, he runs down and he's yelling and fist-bumping. And you can just see, like, hate in his eyes. Like, that's 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 what Tom Brady is to me, man. Just the ultimate competitor. And when they do stick his statue up in front of Gillette, I hope they use that as, as the defining statue for him. So... For me, man, he's a guy that you basically can never count out. The fiercest competitor, a mental lion. Obviously, his physical straight uh, traits weren't the best. He doesn't run the, you know, he doesn't run the fastest. He doesn't throw the the best. But the fact that he can he can mentally just destroy you, I think that that is what Tom Brady is all about, man. And there's been so many great moments over the years. And obviously, I wanted to talk through a couple of them, whether it's the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl or twenty to three. But when you think of, you know, obviously, what is your what is your favorite moment of Tom Brady's career? Like, what's the one thing that stands out to you? I mean, I think you have to go with the twenty eight to three comeback. I mean, yeah. that was that was the personification of of willing your team back into a game, like you're crawling out of the abyss. I. Jay, I remember talking mad, mad mm-hmm. trash to you during that game. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite comments was uh, George H.W. Bush, God rest, had more rushing yards than the entire uh, you know offensive attack for the New England Patriots going into <laughs> halftime. Like that's that's how bad it was, and you know you just you saw it, and like you know part of that, yeah, Kyle Shanahan crapped his pants in a big moment, big shocker. But I mean. You literally saw a dude will his team back into a game, and not just on the offensive side of the football, Jay, like the defensive side of the football, like the special teams. I mean, we talk about this with Joe Burrow, and like I, I understand it's going to be a, an unfair comparison, but you want to talk about larger-than-life personalities that the team adopts. That's it. Like right there with what Brady did in that twenty-eight to three Super Bowl run, they just they just willed themselves back into that game. Or hell, even like the two thousand one Super Bowl against the greatest show on turf. Like yeah, it's they, they were the ultimate underdog story, right? And they were like the first team in like Super Bowl history to come out as a team. And yeah, that's like a minute footnote in history, but like that's a big deal. Like with all these egos, all these guys that want to get paid. Lawyer Malloy ended up leaving the team the following year in free agency, went to the Buffalo Bills. But like you have big personalities like that that like buy into that team mentality. You know, it's contagious, man. Like there's there's nothing like that, and that's like the biggest. You know, those are the memories that stick out to me in the biggest moments for Tom Brady, the twenty-eight to three, and then the first Super Bowl against the Rams. Yeah, I remember that night, Puma, 28-3. I remember at halftime, we were down 21-3, to and I thought it was over. I thought when Brady threw that pick six before the end of the half, and they went down 21-3, 
I remember my phone. I was getting so much crap from you, Puma. I was like, oh, this Puma, he's getting to me, you know? <laughs> and I remember turning my phone off. Because I remember I went silent there for a little bit. And I turned the TV off, Puma, and I went and laid in bed. And, you know, I'm not going to say I cried. Because men don't cry. In my world, men don't cry. But I definitely was very, I was very, I was very disheartened. And I was laying there, sad as hell. And I remember thinking to myself, man, yeah, but... He's in the Super Bowl. I gotta go turn this back on. I gotta, I gotta write it out. I can't be that fan that when it's going good, I'm all there. But when it's going bad, I'm just gonna turn it off and go cry. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I turned the TV back on at Puma, and that was just so exhilarating, man. Just the throws, and that's the thing about Tom Brady, man. When when he gets in that zone, nothing can stop him. I know. Obviously, we talk about 28-3 as that being the. That being the definitive moment that most people remember for Tom Brady. But the Super Bowl before that, against the Legion of Boom, against one of the best defenses I've ever seen, like a defense that people were comparing, you know, with the Seattle Seahawks uh, up against like the Ravens defense of the early 2000s or the 85 Bears, that defense was that legit. And at that moment, at in that time, nobody ever, ever come back from a 10-point deficit in the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady was the first to do it against that defense in the fourth quarter where he threw up like 146 rating and 111 yards and two touchdowns. And he just got into a zone, man. And there are just so many moments in his career that personify clutchness and just being a being a winner. And the one, the one that goes underrated is the last one he had. His last big hurrah moment with the Patriots was in 2018 when he went into Arrowhead. You remember that game, Puma? Mm-hmm. Against the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs in uh, in Arrowhead, the AFC Championship game. You know, the, it's a hell of a battle. The Patriots are hanging in there. Eventually going to overtime, and Tom Brady has those three big third and ten conversions. It was to Julian Edelman, Julian Edelman, then Gronk that set up the game-winning uh, touchdown run. Dude, just wherever you look, I mean, the guy is just unreal. And and it's going to be sad, man. It's going to be sad for him to walk away from the game. And I think the thing that I'm annoyed by a little bit is I think he had more in him. I mean, we can all agree, you know, at age 44, he was outgunning 24-year-olds. He looked really good. His arm looked, his arm looked live. He's probably going to be either the MVP or the runner-up of the uh, for the MVP against Aaron Rodgers. So what I don't understand is why did he walk away now? Is it as simple as you know going for Tampa just doesn't have the horses around him to compete and he doesn't be part of a rebuild? And I get that part of it. But if you look at just his physical skill set, I think he had one, maybe two more years left in him. I mean, I'll tell you what it is. As a fellow Brazilian, it's Giselle. Like Giselle is Giselle has been on the record wanting him to hang it up. She was tired of seeing him get hit all the time and whatnot. And, you know, as a fellow Brazilian, not only are we crazy at times and we have strong personalities, like when, you know, we say something like that's that's no slight against anybody, but it's just like if we we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And I think it was finally the last straw with Giselle and she was like, you know, it's either you retire or, you know, I'm leaving. I don't know if that's the case, but just paraphrasing here, that's just my gut instinct. You know, like you said, Jay, like the, the eyes don't lie. Like the guy could have probably played another two or three years if he wanted to. The whole TB12 brand is built around, you know, him playing until he's at least 45 and he got pretty goddamn close if, you know, with him retiring uh, this season. But I, I think it was, mostly Giselle and the family dynamic and, you know, bad props. If, if you want to spend more time with your family and your wife and, and, and all the kids and whatnot, you know, that's your prerogative. Who am I to judge? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is you look at the offensive side of the football, a decent amount of the starters. I feel like almost every starter position is either a rest- uh, unrestricted free agent or a restricted free agent type of deal. Um, Chris Godwin's going to be a free agent. That's going to that's a key part of that offense. I think he soured a bit on Bruce Arians, especially with how the Antonio Brown fiasco went down. I think that might have been the nail in the coffin type of deal. We saw what BA did with the Tristan Worf situation of his injury and that cost him in that game against the Rams. And uh, I think that was the the nail in the coffin where he said, "Okay, Giselle, you're right." I'm going to retire. Let's let's ride off into the sunset type of deal. And I, I don't think Tom's coming back. I think when he's retired, he's retired unless he wants to be a, a newly, you know, new bachelor on the market type of deal. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that I've been trying to rationalize this, man, and I, I can't really point to anything besides the family aspect of this. Because, let's be real, I do understand the Tempe Buccaneers had 
you know, limitations, right? Uh, their roster was going to have to be overturned. They would need to bring new pieces in. But I'm of the mindset, if you get creative enough in the NFL, and I always like to say cap is crap, as Michael Felger says on, on Boston Radio, because there are teams out there like the Rams that get creative with no future, you know, first-round picks for the next five years, and their cap is, you know, all the way up against the, the max, and they just figure out ways to make it work. And I thought Jason Light and that team in Tampa Bay would have figured out a way. And I truly believe that, like, you know, Tom Brady would have had that influence where he could have talked to, I'll just throw names out there like OBJ or Godwin or even Devontae Adams, even though he'll, he'll never leave Aaron Rodgers. But just for the sake of argument, like, what if Tom Brady got on the phone with one of those guys and said, listen, Listen, like, I need you down here. Why don't you come down here try winning the Super Bowl with me? I think some of those guys would take a little bit of a discount to go down there and play with him, right? So mm-hmm. I think I think all of this points to he could still play. I think the Tampa Bay organization is smart and savvy enough to make it work for him. I just think that family part of it was so key for him that he decided it's time to step away. And there's rumblings out there that, you know, this is just obviously just rumors, but there's rumblings that... Giselle, Giselle wants to get back into the, the supermodel world as well, you know, and that obviously is a is a world where it's not just in the United States of America, it's a global market. She has to be traveling all across the world to be, you know, to perfect her craft and get into shows and do this commercial and do this spot. It's not just in the United States where you can jump on a flight from LA back to Tampa for that evening, but she's right. going to be on the road. So it, I think a lot of this does boil down to Giselle and the fact that she was trying to get really fed up with it as well. And to be real with you, like, at this point, I kind of see her point of it as well. No doubt. And listen, like, full disclosure, I don't want to make it sound like we're treating Giselle like Yoko Ono and the Beatles. Like, that is (laughs) not, that is not, maybe that's where you're coming from, Jay. I'm not doing that at all. Like, Mm -hmm. she's made enough sacrifices and and whatnot. It's on record. Yes, absolutely. Like, oh, I'm not trying to make it sound like Yoko Ono. I'm sorry. Just had to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I get your point, man. But, like, it's just, I just hope Tom Brady doesn't sit on his couch next year and looks at the game of football and he misses it. And he has that twinkle in his eye and it makes him sad. And he looks over at Giselle and thinks, man, you're the one that made me walk away from this. Because, you know, you do know, like, relationships, obviously, I'm not trying to put myself in Tom Brady's shoes. But, I mean, most relationships in life, you know, especially when you're with your significant other, like, if something is forced on you, that causes a resentment and rub in that relationship, right? A lot of times, these when whenever you come to a decision in a relationship, both parties got to be equally happy with that decision. If something is forced on you, that causes resentment. And I know Tom Brady. I know the competitor he is and the fact that he's the most fiercest competitor I've ever seen play any organized sport. I know he's going to be sitting on that couch next to him thinking, man, I can do that so much better than 90% of the people in that league. Like, it would be one thing if he was deteriorating and he could, you know, look at those guys on TV and be like, oh, man, I can't do that. But he still, to this day, dude, you don't understand that. At 44 years old, he led every single statistical category for quarterback. Like, he mm-hmm. statistically was the best quarterback in the NFL this year. And he had so much more to give. And I just hope, I just pray that he doesn't have that regret watching football next year. And I, and I promise you this, there will be a time. There will be a time a team will get desperate enough. I'm not saying in training camp. I'm not saying at the beginning of the season. But late in the season, middle of the season, just like the Saints this year, we shot to Drew Brees, somebody's going to reach out to him. And I wonder what, he's, what his thought process is going to be at that point. Right. I don't think his football's done. I think playing in between the lines is done. I mean, he's hinted at this throughout his career, uh, especially like the last couple of years in New England when he was uh, a little chapped about some of the personnel decisions that were made um, that, you know, he would like to be an owner of a team to have be able to call his own shots. I'm not saying he's going to buy a franchise at some point, but do I see him maybe getting a partial share in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization or if somehow ruffled tail feathers are soothed between him and new england does he does bob Kraft give him a partial share of the team i don't think that's a bridge too far but i think that's going to be the kind of the extent of of his football life uh unless you know he gets divorced from giselle <laughs> I, I think his his relationship with bob Kraft is a little is a little shaky right now it's, i think um, so too uh, we're, I, we're gonna get to it we'll get so to that. yeah we'll get to that yeah but uh, the giselle aspect one last thing on that i mean 
like she makes so much money, man. Like it's unbelievable. I started looking at obviously some of the the money that Tom Brady has made, and he's made a decent amount of money, man. His net worth is like five hundred million dollars. Dude, Giselle doubles that. She's like at nine hundred million dollars. Like it's absolutely insane the amount of money that she makes. So listen, if she made the sacrifice of basically saying, you know, you've got ten more years from when they met, because that's what Tom Brady said to her when they met, when they got married. He's like, listen, give me ten more years. And I'll be more than happy to walk away. Well, that turned into 15 years. So, I mean, I, at some point, he's got to hold up his end of the bargain as well. And he shouldn't have made mm-hmm. a promise they couldn't keep. So, you know, that's that. But let's move this forward. I want to talk about perspective. I want to talk about, hist- you know, historic NFL players. Where does Tom Brady stack up, you know, with your Mount Rushmore of, of, of NFL players, right? Obviously, when it comes to quarterback, we can all agree he's the number one quarterback in NFL history. He's probably up there with Montana and Aikman and all those guys. But let's just open it up to all NFL players. Um, if you had to pick your Mount Rushmore of, like, the top four uh, players in NFL history, who would that be? And you can start with number four and go your way up. I mean, number four, God. Is there four people on Rushmore or is it five? I think it's, it's four. And, you know, it's as, four? As, okay. As, as I know you're Puma, you're a very proud um, American. I'm kind of trying to remember you, how many presidents are on there. I'm kind of disappointed you didn't know that was four. I mean, as, as, a, true patri- as a true patriotic uh, man of America, freedom, you should freedom know ain't that. free. I clearly, I clearly did not pay the rent you, on freedom exactly. today. I'm disappointed you didn't pay your rent today, okay? I mean, if you, you got to go. All right. So, number four. Despite well, the obviously, let's talk about it, right? issues, LT right, LT has to be. I was going to go right? Lawrence Taylor, yeah. like mm-hmm. Lawrence Taylor for sure at number four. Number three for me, I'm going to go Rice. Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh God, see number two. Call, look at me sideways all you want. I'm going to go Walter Payton, man. Mm. Like Walter Payton, complete. Like he was the guy for the Bears, and honestly, probably one of the transcendent talents at that position for the longest time. Toughest nails. You don't believe me? Watch the '85 Bears, 30 for 30. Walter Payton, in the words of Steve Mongo McMichael's, is the best football all around football player, in my opinion. But for the sake of argument's sake, I got him slated number three. Um, number two, you got to go Joe Montana, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I was And then too. number one's Brady. Yeah. I think, I think we're kind of lockstep there. Cause I had number four, um, Jerry Rice, number three, Lawrence Taylor, number two, Joe Montana, and then number one, Tom Brady. And you know, if you just compare Joe Montana's career with his four Super Bowl wins, you know, we all thought that was insane. The fact that the man had four Super Bowl wins, Tom Brady comes along goes to 10 Super Bowls and wins seven of them. I mean, it's just completely insane that he he's at the point now where he's had uh, he's had he's had that much success. I almost pulled a very douchey move, Puma, and I almost said that it was going to be Jerry Rice at number four. Number three was going to be Brady's um, early years. Number two was going to be oh, Brady's God. 2007 <laughs> to 2013. And then number th- number one was going to be Brady's 2014 to 2012. And and we joke about this, Puma, but I have, I'm have i looking at like an actual chart right now that's broken down Tom Brady's early career against Troy Aikman. And Brady, Brady is in those, in that, is, is in that, uh, you know, debate. And then his second career is Tom Brady against Dan Marino's career as a whole. Yeah. And then Tom Brady's third career against Joe Montana's whole career and it's in the same ballpark as well. Like it's absolutely insane. From twenty fourteen to twenty one, Tom Brady has had four Super Bowl titles, three Super Bowl MVPs, one regular season MVP and five Super Bowl appearances. For Joe Montana it's four Super Bowl titles, three Super Bowl MVPs Two regular season MVPs and one less Super Bowl appearance at uh, at four instead of five. So, like, if you just look at his career, man, he has three Hall of Fame careers. Like, he could go in whether you break it down however you want to break it, and that's just that just speaks to his greatness, man. For sure, for sure, the, the best. Then, He's the best to ever do it. And then let's expand it out to the Mount Rushmore of just sports athletes in general. And I'll start off here first, but. You know, the top four that I had in my mind was going to be Tiger Woods. I mean, the, what he's accomplished. I know there's a lot of off-the-field issues with Tiger Woods and what, you know, what he's done. But just strictly speaking on the field, I mean, he, he's one of the greats. Up behind that is Wayne Gretzky. 
at number two, you got Michael Jordan, um, just because he, he's a, he's a killer and assassin himself. But at number one, I've got I've got Brady ahead of Jordan now, man. Like what Brady has done, and obviously it's a little different than what Jordan's done because he's went to six uh, NBA titles and he won six of them. But they're they're series. They're not one game like you know Super Bowls where Brady has to be on point for one game. And the fact that he's won seven of them, been to ten, I, I think he by far for me, is just at the top of Mount Rushmore. And I don't know when somebody's going to come along to take him off that that mantle. Like, let's think about this logically. LeBron's never going to get there. LeBron can't even surpass Jordan. Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he's going to get there. I think I think he's a little bit of a... I, I think you're going to start to see who Patrick Mahomes really is when he doesn't have the best wide receiver and the best tight end and the best offensive uh um, schemer in the in the game with Andy Reid, like I think you're going to start seeing, and you're starting to see some of the cracks in in, in Patrick he's, Mahomes. He's but the AFC I, version I, of uh, of the Packers, right? Now. Exactly, right. So I don't I don't know when somebody's going to come along to you know overtake Tom Brady's mantle. Like think about all the great quarterbacks, not obviously in the history of the game, but just in the last twenty years, whether it's Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers. You combine all those three together, you still only get four Super Bowls, and Brady's got seven of them. So I, I don't know. I mean, you throw in Mahomes in there as well. You got five compared to seven. So I don't know when someone's going to come along and win eight Super Bowls. I just don't think it's ever going to happen, man. Right. I mean, I, I think the only hope would be Arch Manning uh, when he comes out of, uh, out of high school it. and college. Stop but it, no, stop honestly, it. like, honestly, no trolling involved. We're never going to see it. Like, we're never going to see someone take that mantle. Brady is going to be the, go down in history as the greatest of all time. And when it comes to, like, sports totality, where does, you know, he rank in the Mount Rushmore things, I'm with you on that list. The only thing I would swap out, I think it was number three for you, Wayne Gretzky, I would put Serena Williams there. Mm, Other than that, yes, I'm in lockstep with your whole list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost I almost wanted to put Kobe at four, just because Kobe has a special place in my heart. Obviously, he doesn't have the six rings that uh, Michael Jordan has, but he had five, and just the competitor he was. I mean, the dog that he was, the fact that you step on that court, he was going to go toe-to-toe with you whether it was a random Tuesday night in Indiana or it was game seven of the NBA championship at, at Staple against the Celtics like it he's just he was that kind of dog and I you know rest in peace Kobe we miss you man mm-hmm all right yes sir now let's get on Jay, no, you got something to say I, I got something to say Puma. I got something to say ah! <laughs> listen I told Puma this before I came on the podcast. I was bum hurt. Uh, I was butt hurt. I was um, mad. I was sad. I had a lot of emotions going through me. Uh, suicidal at one point when I saw that Tom Brady was was retiring and walking away. You know, but what made it easier for me? What made it a little easier for me to digest was the statement that Tom Brady sent out there announcing his retirement. It was well-crafted, a long statement on Instagram and Twitter, 961 total words. That's a lot of words. He he thanked everybody under the sun. He thanked Bruce Arians, the GM in Tampa Bay, uh, his personal trainer, Alex Guerrero, the crew, which is what the designation is for the fans down in Tampa Bay. He thanked his uh, personal uh, agent, Don who has been there forever. He thanked his family, but he did not thank anybody in New England. He didn't thank Robert Kraft. He didn't thank New England and Boston fans. And most importantly, he did not thank that loser scumbag, Bill Belafraud. And when I saw that Puma, I laughed. I laughed like a hyena. Oh, it was so good. It was the closure I needed. It was the complete middle finger on the way out for Brady, uh, you know, to, to retirement. So... A lot of people saw that, and a lot of people in Boston got butt hurt. And I get why, you know, they're very egotistical, you know, loser franchise, loser fan base up there. So I get why they were very worked up. But Puma, when you saw that and you saw some of the outcry, what was your thought process? How, how did you take that in? I had a big laugh. I I uh, I was full of the. It's a German expression. It's Schadenfreude. It's uh, joy in the misery of others. Now, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, I don't I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not a Pats fan, but you know, Pats fans are worse than Cowboy fans. In the agree on that. I, I will wholeheartedly agree. The Pats fan base, especially the baby worthless losers in Boston, are the worst of all fan bases in the world. Yep. Um, them crying, what else, like, what does Tom Brady owe you? Like, he gave you 
so many years of being, you know, relevant in championship hunts and getting over the top of the mountain and getting those championship rings. And, you know, an argument could be made that he dragged Bill Belichick to the top of Mount Everest a couple of times oh, to get those championship like rings. And, you know, you, you, you look at this and the biggest takeaway that you have a fa- as a fan base have is feeling slighted on Instagram and the amount of calls, not in just 98.5, not just in a WEEI, but just like Boston fans messaging me crying about <laughs> the be- you know, the slight that they felt oh, from not so being mentioned so in an Instagram us. post. It was just it, it, it gave me <laughs> it gave me joy to my heart. And you know, Jay, you say this all the time. You can read and you can feel the fear in people's voices. I'm reading these text messages and I'm on the phone with people and you can just hear the fear of, I hope he signs a one day, he's got to sign a one day contract with the New England Patriots. I just started telling people, Jay, if you think he's going to sign a one day contract with the New England Patriots to retire as a Pat, I got a bridge to sell you in Florida. Like I'm just, it's, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. He's going to be inducted in the Patriot hall of fame. I personally believe he will show up to that. Um, but I feel like, and Jay, we talked about this offline, I feel like the Pats fans should get used to the idea that Tom Brady's relationship is going to be a little bit more towards Tampa Bay compared to New England, a la what Peyton Manning's relationship is with the Denver Broncos compared to the Indianapolis Colts. Because, I mean, there's rumblings right now. The Broncos are up for sale as of, like, you know, 1 o'clock Eastern time today. And for a long time, Peyton Manning was rumored as the potential buyer of that team. Like, there's no, Jim Ursay's not offering him shares in that team. He showed up for a statue of Peyton Manning show in mm-hmm. front of Lucas Oil Stadium. But that's it. I think, Jay, you pointed this out, and correct me if I'm wrong, when Peyton got inducted into the Hall of Fame or he did one of his speeches, it was at Mile High. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. Patriot fans better get used to that idea that he, he, being Brady, may have a better relationship moving forward with the Glazer family and with Jason Light and management involved with Tampa Bay. And he's going to be more involved in the Tampa Bay community compared to Foxborough and New England and the Boston area. So buckle up. If well, you're in your hope- feelings right now about an Instagram post, oh man, you all better get a therapist uh... and some Prozac ready. <laughs> I think the beauty in what Tom Brady did with this post, not mentioning any uh, Robert Kraft or Bill Belichick or, you know, New England fans is not to sound like over the top with this, but this is the last formal communication we're going to have of Tom Brady as an NFL player, right? He's retiring. This is what they're going to reference for years on end when he retires. And when people read this and they realize, wait a minute, there's, there's nothing mentioned here about New England or Robert Kraft or Bill Belichick. I love the fact that he did that because that is going to keep the whole Brady versus Belichick debate alive. My biggest fear is that in 20 years, people are going to forget that. My biggest fear is that Tom Brady has won this, won it by a landslide, by going to a different organization, winning, and basically embarrassing Bill Belichick on a national stage. My biggest fear is in 20 years, that would be forgotten because, you know, history, you know, things get lost in history. But when people read that statement and they realize... Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady didn't put Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft in there. They're going to ask that question. And the next question after that is, well, why didn't he do that? And then obviously the whole question will turn into a debate and a conversation about why that didn't happen. We'll talk about, you know, the fact that he left New England, blah, blah. So it'll keep it alive. It's a very petty move. I'll agree to that. I mean, Tom Brady pulled out a very petty move. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved it so much hearing those baby worthless loser fans in Boston call up those radio stations and just like cry almost. Like, oh my God, he's going to come back and sign a one-day contract, right? Do you know how many times today I heard, there's got to be more, right? Like, there's got to be a second. There's got to be a second statement, right? Like, get out of here, man. I think that's yeah, what my other me the favorite most. one. Yeah, my other favorite one was people saying, well. On the last episode 
of Man in the Arena, there's got to be a sit-down with Bill Belichick. I'm like, there'll be oh, a sit-down with Bill up. Belichick if it's like a duel and Tom knows that like Bill doesn't have a round in the chamber and, and Tom just shoots him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's never going to happen. Well, never. People, people need oh. to understand what, what Bill Belichick, Belichick did to Tom Brady still stings Tom Brady. It's been two years afterwards, and he is still butthurt about it. And he's letting you know. And a lot of people want this to go away. I know we have friends in Boston Puma that just want this whole storyline to go away so bad. They just want to tell Brady to move on from it and not feel those feelings. And I'm sorry, that you don't get to decide that, right? The best analogy I can make here, Puma, is... Let's say you decide to, you know, you're in a marriage, your wife tells you, you've got to leave the house because I don't like you anymore. I want a divorce because you can't perform anymore. Fine. Okay. You leave. It is what it is. You get your divorce and you go your separate ways. And then you somehow come back into the household for, let's say Thanksgiving dinner and your kids boo you. And in this analogy, obviously Tom Brady, uh, you know, is in a marriage with, with Bill Belichick and Belichick said, I don't want you anymore. Leave. Fine. And then he comes back to play Gillette, to play the Patriots in Gillette and the fans boo him. Of course, Tom Brady's going to hold that against you. Of course, he's going to hold that in the back of his mind. I just, I just, I'm at the point now where I'm befuddled about how these fans think that everything is fine and Kumba. Oh, well, Belichick would have talked to him for 20 minutes. So what? That doesn't mean they squashed all their beef. So I, I don't know, man. I just I, I saw all that today, Puma, and I just loved it. I, I called you a couple times because I was laughing my ass off like a hyena, man. I got so much joy out of that. It was like, it was like a little bit of closure for me because, you know, you know me fairly well. You know that I've had a, mm-hmm. a tough time with the whole Belichick-Brady divorce. But what Tom Brady did today, man, oh, chef's kiss. Mwah, right on. Chef's cherry on top. <laughs> There's got to be more. There's, There's got to be, be more, Jay. He's got to sign a contract. He's got to. He's got to. No. And, 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 let's, sign and, and let's have that conversation one last time because I think it, it bears mentioning. Tom Brady is winning the, the divorce. Tom Brady is embarrassing Bill Belichick. Talk about it. Tom Brady left New England in a pandemic, went to a 7-9 team that was the uh, one of the most loser franchises in the uh, history Worst of winning sports. percentage in history of professional sports. He took that team to the Super Bowl in year one with a torn MCL, won the Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. He comes back next year, surpasses all the stats, helps that team win the division, helps that team get to the playoffs basically storms them all the way back from 27-3, and if it wasn't for a busted coverage, he'd be in the NFC Championship game again. He's He right now is embarrassing, embarrassing Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's record right now without Tom Brady, we love to always bring this up. It's, uh, what was it again, Puma? I think I texted you earlier today. 71 wins and 80 losses. And he's getting blown off the field by the Buffalo Bills. He's getting embarrassed in the playoff by the Buffalo Bills. All I'm saying is, and, and obviously there's more coming out. And I, I listen, I, I've always said that I think the game's passing Bill Belichick by. But now you're starting to see that he's mixing up Brian Flores and Brian Dable in, the, in a text message like the old, like an old senile man. We've got to start questioning just how smart is this dude, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. But, you know, for those of you that, don't think Bill has anything to prove. Well, the the rest of the NFL landscape, not just New England Patriot fans, but the NFL in its totality, they're keeping score, and it's one Brady and it's zero Bill. So mm-hmm. unless Bill can get McCorkle Jones to, you know, not cry on the sideline and you know drag him to the top of Mount Everest for a playoff champ, you know, a a, a, cha- a playoff win and in a Super Bowl uh, win as well too. Um, yeah, everyone's going to keep uh, be keeping score, and everyone knows who's the leader in the do- in the clubhouse right now. Oh, Brady's leading it by a wide margin, by a, mm-hmm. by a wide margin. I mean, I don't see Bill Belichick winning a Super Bowl anytime soon because let's be real, McCorkle Jones, he's a noodle arm quarterback that isn't uh, mentally tough enough to play in the NFL. To put it lightly, I can say a lot more about him, but that's that's where I'm going to leave it at. And I think at this moment, I think I think what today Bill Belichick had a sigh of relief when he saw the retirement news come over his ticker because right now it's only one Super Bowl. Imagine if Tom Brady somehow played that one a second one next year. Like, could you imagine two Super Bowls? There's well, no way Brady would have caught that. Uh, Belichick would have caught up to two Super Bowls. Well, Jay, you teased a sigh of relief and then he saw the class action lawsuit in his text message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about a sigh of relief anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's let's move on to that. I think we spent what is this forty minutes on Brady. I think I think we could have done another hour on this, but I'm sure the fans uh, and the podcast listeners probably want to hear something else. But interesting developments came out a little bit ago about Brian Flores, your ex head coach. Do you want to give the people a rundown of what's happening down there? Yes, I would. Uh, I would love to. So. Um, earlier today, I want to say about around 4.30, 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, uh, news broke that Brian Flores uh, is filing a class action lawsuit in the U.S. District Court of Southern New York, such that's New York City. Uh, and he's filing this against the National Football League, the New York Giants, uh, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos, as well as the other teams in the league. And essentially, this boils down to um, you know, imp- you know, racially discriminatory hiring practices by the NFL, um, alleges sham interviews with the the Denver Broncos. With you know, in the uh, in the fifty three page uh, court filing, he states uh, that uh, when he showed up for the interview with the Broncos, it was clear that John Elway, John Elway, the general manager at the time, and Joe Ellis, the CEO of the team at the time. Uh, showed up and I quote disheveled and uh, showing signs of being out the night prior heavily drinking Uh, they didn't really care for the interview Uh, it was just to check off the box for the Rooney rule and for those of you that don't know what the Rooney rule is it's a a rule in place by the NFL that mandates teams interview uh, minority candidates for head coaching positions or or you know positions in management type of deal so they have to comply with the Rooney rule when they go through these processes of fill, you know, fill, you know, vacancies in, in, uh, in teams. So you have that for the Denver Broncos. Um, he goes on to allege, um, other sham interviews and other coaches that are having this problem. That's why it's a class action lawsuit. So any other people that are feeling, uh, the, the same, uh, same issues or can prove the same issues can join in this suit against the NFL. Um, he goes on to allege that the Miami Dolphins uh, owner, Stephen Ross, um, I'm going to put this in lawyer terms, uh, essentially incentivized him to lose games in 2019, the uh, air quote tank for two a year. Um, he alleges that Stephen Ross uh, was willing to pay him $100,000 for each loss to secure the number one draft pick. This is when they, they were you know, ripping everything down the studs trading away all their assets that got rid of Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills and Kiko Alonso and, you know, um, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, the list goes on and on. Willing to pay hundred K for this. And then also alleged uh, that Stephen Ross is trying to get uh, Brian Flores to tamper with a quote, prominent quarterback <laughs> under contract with another team. That Remember prominent that quarterback has come out uh, to be Tom Brady, uh, Tony uh, Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network. He uh, he actually had the story in 2020 when free agency started that the Dolphins were a potential landing spot for the Miami Dolphins, and I pupued this. And you know, Tony Pauline, you, props to you for getting that report right. But it's a 53-page document. You can find this online. That's just paraphrasing here. Um, my personal take. The incentivizing to lose aspect, I think, is really minuscule in the grand scheme of the racial, you know, implications of the hiring practices of the NFL, if those are proven to be true. Um, I had a, a pretty spirited debate with uh, with the person offline uh, before we recorded. You know, teams tank all the time to get the number one draft pick. Mm-hmm. So really, it's going to come down to can Brian Flores produce an email or a bank transaction or a text message that shows that, hey, you know, I'm going to wire you $100,000 mm-hmm. to get, you know, to get these losses. But to the bigger issue, Jay, and we hit it at this with Bill Belichick and text messages Brian Flores found out that the New York Giants hired Brian Dable through a text message from Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick thought he was texting Brian Dable himself, congratulating him on the hire. And when Flores responds back saying, hey, coach, just to Mm -hmm. confirm, are you talking about Brian Dable or Brian Flores? And I've got the first and I got the full text message here so I can read it out for the. Yeah, go for it. So Belichick says, sounds like you have landed. Congrats. Uh, Brian Flores says, did you hear something I didn't hear? 
Belichick goes, Giants, question mark. Flores says, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Belichick comes back with, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York Giants that you are their guy. Hope it works out for, hope it, work, hope it works out if you want it. And then Flores comes back with, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. And then he says, coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Just making sure. <laughs> and then uh, Belcher comes back with saying, sorry, I bleeped this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Dayball. I'm sorry about that, BB. And then Flores says, thanks, Bill. But the fact that Brian Flores has to say, Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dayball? Kind of. Like, listen, I don't want to make it out to me that Bill Belichick is losing his mind and he's a senile old man. But like, what else am I supposed to think when you're 70 years old and you can't even figure out who you're texting, right? Like, if you make questionable decisions on the field when you evaluate talent like Tom Brady and then you can't text the correct person, like, I think that's absolutely historical, uh, hysterical. And the fact that Bill Belichick is tied up in this, it's what makes it so funny, is the fact that he's the guy that always wants to be in the back, in the shadows, don't putting distractions on the team and i know we're not in the regular season right now but eventually he will be asked about this i mean this you know, is not going away he is going is, to be more yeah. than likely in a des, a des a deposition mm-hmm. in this class action lawsuit he's going mm-hmm. to have to explain these text messages you're going to see him on primetime uh you know news highlights going into the southern district court of new york a federal courthouse going over these lawsuit issues like you know Jay, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like no, this no, is it. this is a this is a monumental case in the NFL. Like you could liken this to back in the seventies for Major League Baseball when Kurt Flood went to the U.S. Supreme Court to try to fight the reserve clause for Major League Baseball. Essentially, led to free agency a couple of years after that. I mean, this is what we're looking at. We we always talk about the hiring practice issues of the NFL, and they're just giving us lip service and. You know, we have all these, the Rooney rule, and we have things on helmets that send end racism, and it takes all of us. But if these allegations are true, and at this point mm-hmm. on February 1st, which ironically enough is the beginning of Black History Month, these are just allegations. But if Flores and, the, and potentially the rest of the people involved in this class action lawsuit can bring to court you know, proof of these issues and sham interviews and and whatnot. This is a monumental or you know, earth shaking, ground bedrock, you know, shaking mm-hmm. issue for the NFL moving forward. Like we are now living in a different NFL world than we did maybe four hours ago today. Mm-hmm. It is insane. And this the is all this is all still very fresh. I mean this got dropped, you know, in on Twitter just about four hours ago. I truly haven't even been able to run through all the facts on this. I'm just kind of piecemealing it right now for this podcast. And obviously as the weeks come we'll keep on continuing to cover the story, but you know, right off the bat, Puma, like, if if he can somehow prove with hard evidence, because right now it seems to be a he said, he said kind of thing, right? I mean, Bill Belichick said this to me. I feel like he said this to me. Like, how does Bill Belichick obviously connect with the Giants organization? He's not a paid employee for them, right? So I wonder how they're going to make that, how they're going to provide that hard evidence. But let's say if they do provide hard evidence and they do find out that this obviously is a sham. And we all know it's a sham. We all know the Rooney, Rooney, Rooney rule is a sham. The fact that there's only, what, one African-American minority head coach of an NFL squad right now being Mike Tomlin and there's like the league itself is 75-80% African American I mean I think that in itself means it's not working out so they've got to revamp those practices and I think this case could bring enough attention and heat on the NFL to revamp those those uh, uh, those protocols and procedures now however the question is what hard evidence is there like is it simply these text messages because how incriminating are these text messages right at the end of the day Bill Belichick isn't a paid employee of the Giants he is just a friend he just got information he could easily be like, hey man, listen, I he can just play the card of I, I had a few drinks and I was texting. Like it could be it could be something as similar as dumb as that, but where what kind of hard proof does the Brian Flores camp have, you know? Right, exactly. And you know, people out there on Twitter are speculating and calling for Steven Ross to, you know, be forced to sell the team and, oh, and I just yeah. laugh. It's like, okay. You look at the Beltway and you look at Dan Snyder and the Washington football team 
and the workplace issues and issues as being charitable to the you know the house of horrors that was going on back there and all the nfl did was they kind of put a, a you know a sham fine he voluntarily stepped down from the day-to-day operations and him being dan snyder hand over operations to his wife and he was kind of the man behind the curtain nobody really saw anymore and the nfl may or may not have sold out john gruden uh so they didn't have to really come to light with all the other email issues that john gruden and bruce allen may or may not have had you expect uh stephen ross to be forced to sell the team because he wanted his head coach to lose games to get the number one draft pick if that's the case if that's the case, are we going to haul, you know, Bidwell and the Arizona Cardinals uh, because they got the number one pick for Kyler Murray? Are we going to do that for the Jacksonville Jaguars for Trevor Lawrence? Are we going to do that for the Jets trying to get the number one pick, but they had to settle for um, for uh, the, the Mormon Missile? You know, the list goes on and on. Are we going to do that for the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that's in the Super Bowl right now because they did tanking the right way and they got Joe Burrow? Are we going to haul them up to the Southern District Court of New York to, to for a deposition on whether or not they uh, incentivize losing? I'm not going to say they threw a game, uh, especially this day and age with with gambling and whatnot. If you're a gambler, I think you have the sense to know that this team is trying to lose on purpose. So let's not actually bet that team. If they, if Flores came out and said, Hey, Steven Ross told me to not cover the spread and wanted me to shave points, which I believe is actually a federal offense. Then that's a different discussion we're having, but to say, Hey, I want us to lose, to do this rebuild properly. That is a, to me, that's a bridge too far. I'm going to need emails. I'm going to need bank transactions mm-hmm. to yeah. prove that. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? If any time an owner did something, if his team did something questionable, and he has to sell the team. There would be no more owners of NFL teams. It'd be no it'd doubt be rotating. It'd be a rotating. Jerry Jones like, doesn't have exactly, skeletons right? in his closet. Dude, Stop it. I mean, he, I'm the Bob big, Kraft. Biggest, exactly. I'm the biggest Patriots fan, but his team got caught up with Spygate and Deflategate, two cheating scandals. Like, I mean, what are we talking about here? If we're really gonna start penalizing these owners and having them sell their teams for quote unquote inappropriate behavior, whether it's in the front office or on the football field, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying we would have new owners on a four year term basis, basically. I think mm-hmm. I think that part of it, Puma, is gonna blow over. I think the part with the hundred thousand dollars a game for losing is gonna blow over because I don't think Stephen Ross is dumb enough to have something in writing saying this stuff. Like if there really is a wire going for hundred thousand dollars from Stephen Ross's account to, um, let's say Brian Flores' account for t- throwing a game, I mean that 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 in itself is stupid. And I think at that point you shouldn't have a team just because you're that dumb. You feel me? That stuff is gonna is gonna blow over. The other stuff though the racist, you know, hiring practices, that stuff is going to linger. And that stuff is going to be something that I think when we look back at the NFL could possibly be a good thing. I mean, I think down the line from now, five years from now, maybe this is what is the catalyst needed to potentially change those rules and regulations and maybe revamp the Rooney rule to get more African-American head coaches in, in, in there, man. Like, I'm not one of those guys that believes you should just hire off of the color of your skin to fill a quota, this and that. But I do think it's embarrassing that there's one head coach that is an African-American or minority in a league that is 75 80% uh, minority. So I think that needs to be revamped. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just Mike Tomlin. And then if you look, you know, minorities as a whole in the head coaching thing, pool i believe it's just two it's tomlin and ron rivera Mm -hmm. and then for the general manager position i think it's just you know less than five with chris greer being like the lead general manager and and it's just it's a damn it's a shame it's a sham um i i don't know like what you can do to to really change this like i you know i i know the broncos are going to be up for sale you know obviously you know, having a minority team owner would change things for sure but let's say like a, a for argument's sake like let's call for what it is a rich white guy let's say jeff bezos buys the denver broncos like then what are you going to do like are you going to deny the sale like how how do, does I, I know all the league owners vote on that but are they going to deny the sale to Jeff Bezos because of this? Like, I, I just don't know the logistics of how that would work. Like, I'm all on board to have more minority coaches. They're, I just don't know how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, this could be it. I mean, this, depending on how this plays out, could be monumental in how how the uh, how the hiring practices are, are conducted in, uh, in NFL circles. But 
let's put this to bed for now. I think a lot more is going to come out and we'll update you guys uh, in the weeks coming forward. But we have one last topic we want to hit on Puma. We're at 54 minutes and I think we should hit this. Uh, it seems that all reports are indicating that Jim Harbaugh of Michigan is going to be taking the Minnesota Vikings job. It seems that he has uh, interviewed with the Vikings. He's going to be flying up there to have, I believe, a more in-depth uh, interview. Um, and it looks like at this point, even at that point where they're close to working on a contract, it might be signing here in the next 24 hours. So it seems by all accounts that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. When you hear that, Puma, what do you think? I thought it was interesting because uh, I said on the pod uh, about maybe three weeks ago or so, four weeks ago, that Harbaugh really wanted to come down to Miami uh, to to be the head coach of the Dolphins. I, I don't know if maybe he was put off by Stephen Ross stonewalling him uh, and rebuffing his efforts to come down to Florida because, you know, Stephen Ross, air quote, didn't want to take him away from his alma mater. Well, it doesn't really matter because he may be the Vikings head coach. I think it's a good move, um, you know, barring all the things that we just spoke about, about hiring practices in the NFL. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I want to wait and see a little bit on how this plays out, only because Patrick Graham was with the Vikings today for a nine-hour meeting, uh, meeting, you know, ownership and all the general staff members type of deal. So I don't know if, you know, the – Info that came out about the Flores lawsuit may or may not trickle down to the Vikings, but for argument's sake, let's say the Vikings hire um, hire Harbaugh. It's going to make press conferences easy. Uh, it's going to make press conferences fun. Um, I wonder if Aaron Rodgers is going to stick around and maybe Harbaugh and Rodgers have a heated uh, press debate from time to time. Uh, but I think it's going to be great for the offense to unlock things and to really get Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, just going to the next stratosphere type of deal. Uh, but it's uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting move for the Minnesota Vikings, a much-needed move uh, coming from the Mike Zimmer era of things. Uh, but I, it's it's going to make football fun, that's for sure. <laughs> Puma, if, I, if you had to guess um, Jim Harbaugh's NFL record, do you know what it is? I feel like it might be better than Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. Uh, that, that is true. I mean, well, actually, a lot of coaches – First of all, bravo. Well done. Well, well done. Bravo. <laughs> okay. A lot of coaches have better records than Bill Belafar without Tom Brady. We're talking like Rex Ryan and like, uh, God, like uh, Jim Harbaugh's record. A lot of coaches out there. But his record, I bring it up because he's, he's actually a good NFL head coach, Puma. He's 49-22-1 with a Super Bowl appearance and very close to winning the Super Bowl. He took a 49ers team that really hadn't had much success before he came around since the days of, what, like the late 1990s, right? Um, mm -hmm. A really down and beaten franchise. He took over, and he did wonders with that team, man. Like, he went out there, found Colin Kaepernick, brought him in, groomed him, introduced a very um, new way of playing quarterback and offensive football. And I think he went to Michigan thinking he would dominate, and obviously that's something that never happened because I do believe he's not cut out to be a college football coach. I think I think Jim Harbaugh is more of a NFL coach, and I think this is why he's so desperately trying to get back into the NFL coaching circles. To be real with you, the Minnesota Vikings job is not a great one. I mean, like, let's see. what Like, I don't, I don't find much attractive about that job. I mean, the owner themselves, I don't know if they're very stable. I don't know much about the Wolf family. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he's a very mediocre quarterback. Um, you're in Minnesota. The weather isn't the, isn't the greatest. You're playing in a division with Aaron Rodgers uh, if he's still there next year, and it's probably going to be very hard for you to win that division. If he leaves, it's a different story. But, you know, the only thing I can say positive about the Minnesota Vikings job is Justin Jefferson, right? I mean, obviously that guy is an absolute stud. So I wonder what his plans are moving forward if he's a Kirk Cousins guy. If I if I had to guess, he's probably got his eye on a quarterback in the draft. If I had to guess, he's so well in tune with the college game, he probably knows who he wants to target for his future quarterback. And I think from everything I've heard is that Jim Harbaugh feels like he left a lot on the table when he left the NFL. He felt like he has some unfinished business and he wants to win a Super Bowl. So uh, this is a, an interesting hire. I don't know how, how it works out for the Vikings. I think on the front of it right now, just like, you know, uh, you know, pure raw emotion for me, just a raw prediction, I think it'll be a good one. I think, I think right now it screams like it's going to be a good hire. Um, and the one thing that 
is a little bit um, shady is how he's leaving Michigan. It seems like he's kind of letting Michigan hang out to dry a little bit. Um, a tweet came out from James uh, Yoder, who follows Michigan, and I'll read the tweet out. Jim Harbaugh has given the Michigan coaching staff an unplanned week vacation starting midday Wednesday uh, when he meets with the Vikings. He basically has informed his staff, I don't know what my future looks like, but use this time off to do what's best for you. So he's basically given the green light for his Michigan staff to go find other jobs. And on top of that, he's doing this now when, like, basically you're in the heart of the free agency recruiting era of uh, of college football. All the big schools are, are landing. You know, Caleb Williams is going to USC today. Ohio State's bringing its players in. And it seems like Jim Harbaugh is really screwing Michigan. And that's the one thing you got to be concerned about Jim Harbaugh. He, he seems like he's a guy who can't seem to... Look the other way, right? Uh, last year, Michigan made him take a pay cut, cutting his salary in half. And from all accounts, he was embarrassed <coughs> by that. And now it looks like he is hell-bent on trying to get back at Michigan, and this is how he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's interviewing on National Signing Day, right? That's, yeah. like, that's bananas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my well, God. Well, not even interviewing. It seems like the contract is being written up. It seems like the, the go out there and meet them in person – uh, a quote-unquote interview is just more of a formality at this point, getting some face-to-face action. It seems like him and Minnesota have been talking for a good three, four days now, and it looks like the contract is being written up, and he's going to be the next head coach of the Vikings. So mm-hmm. that's, 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 a, that's some interesting news, man. For sure. Definitely worth monitoring. The NFL never sleeps, Jay. The NFL never freaking Puma, we have sleeps. so I have, I have my old notes from the podcast we were going to do today. We haven't hit Mahomes legacy talk, Burrow, 49ers discussion about Jimmy Garoppolo moving forward, Nathaniel Hackett being hired by the Broncos and what that means for Aaron Rodgers, dude. The amount of storylines produced by the NFL on a daily basis still still blows my mind. Yep. Insane. Insane. All right, well, Puma, we're at 61 minutes. Do you want to hit on anything else or do you want to potentially call it a day? I think I'm good to call it a day, but real quick, Jay, we we, we got a request. We got we got a shout out oh, to uh, two folks. My we got Kev, sh- my boy Kev. We got a shout out Kev, and we got a shout out our boy, you know, Mikey P. Hammer Time, aka mm-hmm. Frisco, aka Fifty Thousand Other Nicknames, aka the Rec League MVP. Oh. All this stuff, Mikey um, P. I you hope know, you're special. doing well, brother. I know your 49ers lost. I hope you're doing well, man. I was just gonna say, I hope I hope Mikey P is okay. He's not hanging from a closet somewhere because Jimmy G pulled a Carson Wentz and short circuited. But shouts to them, shouts to Kev, shouts out to My, uh, Mikey P. Shout out to our boy Freddie Hercules, aka Hercules twenty four twenty four, aka Mister Moneybags from DraftKings Daily oh Fantasy. <laughs> you know he's got fifty nicknames too. But other than that. If we're going to wrap it up, this episode of the pod and previous episode of the Pro Football Radio Podcast can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. YouTube, once the maestro Jay, the captain, slices this up and puts it on the uh, the YouTube space, make sure you hit that little notification button that's that little bell so whenever a video gets dropped in the feed, you'll be notified and be able to instantly watch it for your viewing pleasure apple podcast be sure to subscribe leave a five-star review helps us with the the masses social media wise facebook instagram pro football radio podcast twitter at pfr podcast i'm on the machine brando underscore puma jay chima is at jay chima like subscribe download the dms are open Hit us up on the social media channels. Talk to us about the Flores takes. Talk to us about the coaching stuff. What do you think is going to happen with uh, with with Tom Brady's legacy? Is Bill off the hook with things? Be sure to hit us up. I know I know Jay's got some hot takes if you haven't noticed about the Bill Bella fraud situation. But hit us up. Love to get some engagement with you guys. And uh, we'll definitely have more to talk about for Super Bowl week and the Super Bowl itself. Yeah, Puma, I've got I've got hot takes, and uh, you know, at the end of it, Puma, I am a little bit on the saddened side. Like all jokes aside, I, I mean, I don't know who I'm gonna be rooting for next year. Obviously, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, but I'm like a jaded Patriots fan right now. You know how it is, like when you just hate your team and you just like you can't even get enjoyment watching them anymore. So like, I I think I really only have who now. I have what I mean. I'm a little bit of a fan of Josh Allen, so I'll watch him. Um, Local Ohio kid Joe Burrow out here. I mean, a lot of his games are 
are you know televised locally and Joe Burrow is big in Columbus. I love Justin Herbert, so I mean I, I don't know like who am I gonna be sitting down on a, on a Sunday basis to root for? Obviously, I sit down for the past twenty two years and root for Brady, um, and you know I still sit down and root for the for the Patriots. But I my God, I'm never gonna root for McCorkle McCrap Jones. So I'm in a I'm in a bad spot, Puma. I don't know what to do, man. It's fine. It's fine. You get some skyline chili. All right. You watch some Joey B. You know, you watch the Moxie. You watch your boy Herbert. You know, you, 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 it's gonna be okay, Jay. You're gonna you're gonna pull through. It's gonna be fine. Well, I'm just waiting for the day that uh, McCorkle McCraft Jones turns into the next Peyton Manning, aka the next Tom Brady, aka the next Joe Burrow. At this point now, as well, from what I've heard from Patriots fans. Oh so, God! I, I, I hope that, and, and I'm glad we didn't get to that debate because I had a lot to say about that whole. Matt Jones can be Joe Burrow someday. Yeah, okay, real. I'm sure he could be. Yeah, yeah huh? that, that'll, <laughs> that'll be a podcast for another day. That'd be a 60 minute yell session by me. It won't be a podcast. It'll just be <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, All God. Right. All right, well, listen, uh, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye, Acondios.